0: Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all today. How's everyone doing? Very well. How's everyone doing? I well. Oh, that's good. Thanks, Nathaniel. It's great. Good to hear that. <laughs> great. Good to see you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Richard, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, this morning, I've been preaching up at Alder Road, which is why I have just uh, arrived here today. But it uh, sounds like you're having a great time of worship. I um, I want to bring to you this morning uh, to start us off with a bit of a thought experiment. This is the uh, American pastor, John Piper. Some of you will know this. There's a nice picture of his mug coming up there. There he is. Uh, And I'm going to be referring to him a few times uh, this morning. John Piper's done some really, really helpful work on uh, and and provided some really helpful thoughts in helping us to understand the biblical concept of the glory of God and its relevance to us, specifically this idea that... Throughout scripture and throughout history, God is always acting for his glory and his namesake, that in everything he does, it is his priority that he is received and known and hailed for his perfection and his glory. And then how we make sense of this by not viewing him as some sort of an egomaniac like you may have done with Zeus in that time of of the world Um, so I suppose the question really is, why is it important to us that God should be glorious? That's what I'm hoping to kind of get into and unpack for us today. Here's um, a series of thoughts that John Piper has had. So there's some slides coming up. You can follow along with me. He asked this question. What if God's continual acting for his own glory proved less to be like an insecure, self-enhancing, needy bully and more like the star professional sportsman who drives his Porsche into the council estate because he genuinely loves inner city kids and he wants to give them the unimaginable pleasure of playing with their hero? Or what if God's attention to his glory turned out less to be like the back alley quack doctor who hangs out a sign saying, "'I'm the best!' and more like the real doctor hanging out a sign because he is, in fact, the best. And he alone can do the procedures that will save the community from spreading the disease. What if God's public promotion of his power is less like a narcissistic military general who seeks victory by sacrificing thousands of soldiers from his safe position behind a desk, we've seen enough of those recently, and more like the truly greatest general who wins both victory and fame by willingly dying at the front line for the troops that he loves. In other words, what if, in the end, we discovered that the beauty of God, his glory for which he works, turns out to be the the kind that actually comes to climax, reaches its highest state of glory in being shared with others? And what if the attitude that we have thought was mere self-promotion was instead, because it finds its climax in being shared with us, was instead the greatest possible pleasure for all who would share in it with Him. John Piper outlines what I believe to be true and what I believe the Bible teaches that God is zealous for His glory and He expects us to be as well because He wants us. To look at him and behold him, the, the perfect star figurehead, if you like, the most skillful doctor, the greatest military general, and so on, in order to demonstrate to us that if he is who he says he is, then true safety, true healing, true salvation can only be found in him and in his perfection and in his ability to overcome what nobody else can. And therefore, the salvation of the entire human race is dependent on the certainty of the glory of God. In other words, if he is glorious <clears throat> and we are awestruck by his glory, it's a win-win for humanity. <clears throat> Excuse me. That God is glorious is of prime importance to us as Christians because if he isn't, then what is he? He's fallible. And a fallible God is, is just not a God at all and certainly not the type of God in whom you can place your 100% confidence and find peace. Do you follow me? Okay. It's a bit like me wanting my girls to believe in me as the best dad, so that they will trust me and know that I am safe and reliable and working in their lives for their good. My, My reliability as a dad, if you like, my prowess as a dad, let's say, should be good news for them. And so it is with us and God. The central sentiments of what I want to get to in our passage today is concerned with this matter. It's another one of those passages that really you could preach uh, or read a hundred different ways and find a hundred different helpful biblical applications. But I want to read two verses right in the center of our passage, and then we'll come back and read the whole stretch. So this is Jesus, and he's talking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Thanks, folks. He says this, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, this is important. And he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. All the miraculous power of God, the, the God who created the stars and the seas and the flowers and hippos and crocuses, that same miraculous power is now on full display through the life of Jesus, because everything the Father does, the Son does also. That's what we've been reading about these last few months as we've been following Jesus through the book of John. Salvations and miracles and healings and resurrections, they're all just a continuation of God's miraculous, creative, creating, life-bringing workings in the world through his Son. And look, verse 20, God's glorious acts in creation and all the miracles of Jesus and all that God will do through his Son are meant to cause us astonishment, amazement. He wants us, Gateway, to be awestruck, to become aware of his glorious works, to become aware of his glory, and to see all these amazing things that God does are meant to build into us a confidence that he is good and that he is able, that he alone is mighty to save. I want exactly the same for my own kids. I want them to look at me and to know that in who I am and what I do, that I'm safe and I'm for their good. I'm a good place for them to be. Likewise, there's meant to be a link between the glory and the perfection of God and our faith and trust in him to do us good. He is glorious. To use Piper's analogy, he is the best doctor, the best military general, and he wants to display this glory to the world that we might see and be amazed and respond to this in amazement and worship. How aware... Of the glory of God are you? When did you last behold Him? When last did your thoughts of God as you meditate on His Word and spend time with Him? When, when did He last take your breath away? It may have been just this morning. It may have been many years. When did you last see and taste and fall down in worship before His glory? When did you last take pleasure in God and in His glory? In a world of distractions and inertia and apathy and godless selfishness and self-promotion and striving, these are all the hallmarks of the world we live in, God wants to catch back our attention as we read these stories, these miracles of Jesus, where broken lives are made new because in all of these things, he is saying, look, when I speak, the blind see, the lame walk, the sick are raised up, storms are calmed, because I am all that I say I am. Everything else in creation is subject to my ruling power and authority. And look, all of these things that I'm doing are for your good. They're for your healing and your wholeness. That's his glory. It's a glory that he shares with us. It's a glory that is one day headed to the cross, where he will demonstrate his glory for all the ages and achieve our freedom and our salvation for all time. How? By giving it all away, by giving it all for us. His glory is for our good. That we see and understand His glory, that we are amazed in God, is for our good. Let's read the whole passage. This is uh, John 5, verse 16 to 21. <clears throat> and the background to this passage is, um, if, you, uh, if you remember last week, Nathaniel talked a little bit about this. Um, Jesus has just spent the last few weeks through the towns and villages healing and blessing and doing all sorts of incredible miracles. And in this passage, he's just healed a disabled man who's been lying lame for 38 years. Just think about that for a moment. Imagine someone lying lame, begging for 38 years on Ashley Road. That's what's been going on. And Jesus comes in and he heals this man. But he he did it on the Sabbath, the day that the rabbis commanded that no work was to be done. And they considered healing a type of work. So once again, Jesus finds himself in a confrontation with the Pharisees. and says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work, even to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath now, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only see, do what, he can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son, and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So Jesus heals a lame man, been lame for 38 years, that's amazing. But the Pharisees don't like this, and the way they respond to Jesus, I believe, is uh, the reason for their, their displeasure should, should trigger something of a response in us as well. Sometimes in our walk with Jesus, it's true that we can, we can want the healings, we can want the raising from the dead, we want the Prince of Peace and the Good Shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. We, we like that stuff. But when these things, when the work of Jesus in our lives creates uh, or crashes into what we believe or what impinges on our worldview, then we can have a problem. Rather than his work in our lives causing us amazement, it can cause us frustration or stubbornness because it doesn't look like we think it should. That's the Pharisees' problem in the story. It's it's not that he's healed the beggar. They've completely missed that. It's that he's, he's done it at a time that they have forbidden by their rules. It's quite possible for us to want the gift, but not the giver. I want the good stuff, but I want it in in ways that meet my terms and ways that suit me. Jesus has just healed a man who's been lying there for 38 years lame. It's an incredible thing. Imagine that happening here today. If you just read that story, that should almost in itself be enough to go, I trust him, I believe, I'm giving my life to him. That show of glory should have caused them to celebrate and fall down at his feet in worship and declare their faith in this God who can open blind eyes and raise people up off their sick beds and cause legs that have been lame for 38 years to work again. This should have been good news for them. It was for our good, for their good, but instead they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath because it clashes with their worldview, with their rules. How often do we do this? Lord, thank you for all the good stuff. I like the financial blessing. I like the healing. I like the fact that you've helped me to pass my exams or find a husband or wife or buy a house or get the promotion. We like that. Thank you, Lord. We like it when you demonstrate your glory and your power over circumstances by by providing that kind of thing. But can we just do this on my terms? We all do this. I, I do this. I know it's true that we all do this because this is part of the broken and fallen human condition that we find ourselves in. Don't, don't push me to believe things that are hard, Lord. That's, that stuff's a bit outdated now. We're, um, we're post-moderns. Truth is, is relative. Don't ask me to tell others about you, Lord. That's just a bit embarrassing in this culture. How about this one? Don't, don't ask me to serve, Lord. Don't ask me to serve. I just prefer to be a bit loose and flexible with my time. Or don't ask me to give up two hours of my time on a Sunday to be here in the church worshipping and building up your body. I, I, I appreciate right now I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm highlighting some of the things that go on in our hearts, some of the things that go on in my heart. And God, don't, don't ask me for money. I, I kind of, I'm of, i more of a receiving type of person. I like receiving. Another day. Not right now. These are, these are difficult things to hear. I appreciate it. They're different th- difficult things for me to stand up here and say. But I care for you too much, and I fear God too much not to. And, and don't get me wrong. I'll say this again. I'm preaching to myself here this morning as much as anyone. We, we all do this stuff because we're all human, and we're all fallen, and we're all broken. That's what's happening with these pharisees they completely miss that jesus has just made a broken man whole a wonderful miracle because he's broken their rules about the sabbath their interpretation of how they believe the world should work so jesus is like you have a problem with me healing on the sabbath whose rules do you actually think have been violated here whose kingdom are you trying to establish and maintain in the first place the sabbath was given to you as a gift by God in the first place, not for you to lord it over people and condemn them, but as a gift of rest to you so that he can establish his lordship over your life as you lay down your work one day a week and trust him to supply what you need because you need to rest and he doesn't the father jesus tells us is always at work that's good news for us because his work as we see in the story is to bring us wholeness and to bring us healing in him and this work will mean that he's he's going to do even greater things jesus says than the healing of this lame man he's going to raise the dead he's going to overcome death He's going to free all mankind from our bondage to sin and death. That's the greater things that he's going to do in a little while at the cross. That's why Jesus said that he was glorified by going to the cross. Now has come the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's what Jesus said in the garden the night before he went to the cross. And the ongoing work of the cross will be for all people for all time. When Jesus heals and brings peace and raises the dead in these stories, he's pointing to something even greater. He wants us to come to a place of amazed worship in a God who is always at work, always bringing life, always freeing people from death, always able to save, because he is God. If he wasn't glorious, he wouldn't be God, and if he wasn't God, then he couldn't save us. Therefore, the best posture for us it's one of awed amazement. That's a good place to find yourself. It was wonderful to walk in here this morning and hear people singing, how great is our God. That's a great posture to adopt. That's why we preach through whole books of the Bible and take seven months to preach through the the Gospel of John and why we emphasize that you should read your Bible slowly and meditatively and daily and in community, having others to point out the things that you've missed and joyfully experiencing Jesus together. Because as you do, you behold God. You see in the life of Jesus, in the Gospels, the glory of God on display to us. And as we behold him, look look at what happens. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we, gateway, who with unveiled faces, in other words, coming face to face with God in this new covenant that Jesus has established, as we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory of being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. The glorious Lord, the glorious God, shares his glory. He wants us to be amazed in his glory. He wants us to be satisfied in his glory. He wants us to be transformed from lowly, alienated orphans into highly cherished sons and daughters, which is what we are, as we behold him we are transformed into his image we become like him with ever increasing glory we become the best version of who we were designed to be we become more of what it means to be truly human we become all that god has for us and wants for us and that means becoming an increasingly free people a people who live out the freedom and the life and the health And the purpose of the gospel. We become increasingly a found people. No longer lost and in darkness. As we behold him. We become like him. That we can come to a God of infinite glory. That he is more glorious and perfect than anything else. And that in his glory he saves and heals us is of prime importance to us because it's a glory that he both establishes, that both establishes all that he claims to be, and it's a glory that we can trust in and rely in for our good. So behold him. Turn your face to him. That lame man, 38 years he, he lay there, he had an encounter with the power and the glory of God working through his son Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and in a flash he was made whole. God wants us to be amazed in him in a distracted world that offers up all sorts of things that claim to be amazing, God wants us to see Him and behold Him, and be amazed in Him. And rather than being formed and shaped by the world, to be formed and shaped by Him, and to become more like Him. That's how we are supposed to respond to this glory. His glory is for our good. His glory is our peace. His glory is our rest. His glory is the place we come to where nothing else in life seems glorious. And His glory is our protection. I'm not... um, I'm not someone who very often has prophetic dreams, but a few years back, as I was in maybe the darkest season of my life, I had a dream. And it was one of those prophetically very real dreams when you know that God has been very close. And in this dream, Satan had me pinned down on a bed, and he was trying to kill me with a knife. He, he had a knife. He was inching closer to my face like in one of those Hollywood movies. And he was screaming, this kind of high-pitched demonic screech why does he get all the glory why should he get all the glory and this battle seemed as real as anything i'd experienced i'm not sure i've ever felt evil as tangibly as i did that night and in the dream something came up from within my spirit and i remember shouting back because he's the glorious one it just came out of me from within and as as i did so in in my dream satan just released his grip and i awoke and i felt god speak so powerful powerfully to me about how his glory my recognition of his glory and power was the best defense that I had against the evils of Satan and the world. God's glory demonstrated through our Christ is our peace. There is nowhere else that you will find peace and protection in this world. Everything else is a facade, a poor imitation of the power and the glory of God, and no one else will serve you and save you and favor you and love you like God no one else will raise up their glory to share it with you and give you peace a few years back i was in um washington dc with uh, my family there's a lovely picture of us i was remarking at all the road that was before i lost some weight Whew. some donuts went down that holiday <laughs> <laughs> and here we are at the uh, the capitol building and uh, we got to go and see the capitol building in the white house and uh you know this, these are, these are the places of the greatest power and glory on earth, the strongest standing military force the world has ever seen is commanded from these buildings laws that affect our way of life and our culture economic decisions that affect every person on earth are decided in these buildings, and we, we got to by some weird circumstance of being British citizens, actually go right into the actual senate room while it was in session, the senators were there debating things in front of us and deciding some of these things, and down the road the president was in session in the White House, the most powerful man on earth, making decisions that would affect us all, the highest authority in the world, perhaps even in the history of the world. And bizarrely, two things stand out to me from that experience in that day. The wallpaper in the Senate chamber was peeling, and the varnish was kind of scuffed on the chairs. It, it was just a room when it came down to him and these were just normal men and women and none of them loved me none of them was about to sacrifice themselves for me their glory was inward focused and it was fading the state of the room was literally fading And then we walked down the road to the White House, and we saw this magnificent building, the epicenter of worldly power and glory, and we gazed over the manicured lawns to the front door, the glorious views they always show you on TV. And then we walked around the back of the building to the side they never show you on TV, and there were hundreds of protesters and people who'd been camping out there in protest against the government in some cases for years. One guy had been there since the Vietnam War all demanding their rights, none of whom were in awe of the glory of the president, who they felt had not only failed them, but had actually acted against them. The facade of the highest form of earthly power and authority turned out to be just that, a facade, a mess, a fading one at that. And no one in that place was on their knees in worship and adoration, in that place of worldly glory, because that place of glory was not one for the primary benefit of others. It was an anxious, inward, contested glory. Whereas the glory of God is designed to be an outward-facing glory for the good of the world that God made and loves. And therefore, his power and perfection and glory are made manifest to us and cause our heart to leap up because he went to and died on the cross for us. And he sent his spirit to live inside us. And the Holy Spirit of God opens our eyes and testifies to our spirit daily that only he is good and only he is glorious and that only he can save you and do you good. So don't wander around confused and anxious in a confused and anxious world. Come to him. Behold him. Be amazed and astonished at him. Ask him and see how he might work in your life. John Piper again, uses the example of how God saved Israel out of Egyptian captivity in the Exodus. Many of you will know the story. Israel were, for 400 years, slaves in Egypt, and God saves them out and brings them through uh, the parting of the Red Sea, saves them. He traces the story through Psalm 106, verse 7 and 8, and it says this. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles, and they did not remember your many kindnesses, And they rebelled by the sea, by the Red Sea, yet he saved them for his namesake, for his glory, to make his mighty power known. Why would God do that? Verse 12, then they believed his promises and sang his praises. Pay attention to the dynamic at play here. The the Exodus shows us two things. It shows us Israel's weakness, and it shows us God's glory. They gave no thought to your miracles, yet he saved them. Why? For his namesake, for his glory, to make his mighty name known, to show himself as glorious. Why? So that they would remember that for all the ages and turn to the only one who could ever do anything about their situation. They were trapped in slavery, and they had the full weight of the Egyptian army bearing down on them as they stood helplessly staring at the Red Sea, terrified for their lives, just before God showed his glory by parting the waters and leading them through. In their weakness, they were completely unable. In his glory, he was completely able. His glory gateway, his ability to be all that he says he is, is our hope and our salvation as we face up to our own inability to save ourselves. it's why Paul says in the New Testament, I glory in my own weakness. I boast in my weakness. Because God tells me this, it's in my weakness. It's in your weakness that my power is made perfect. My grace is sufficient for you. Here's, um, here's my own confession. I know I'm amongst friends this morning, so I'll share this, and I, I trust you'll be, you'll be kind to me with this. But I, I think it just makes the point of how the Lord works, certainly has in my life. At the start of um, May, I was, I was tired, June, actually. I was tired. I was, I was dog-tired. I'm still pretty tired now, if I'm honest with you, but it's getting better. It's been a pretty intense year for me. This time uh, last year hadn't quite happened, but some of you will remember we started the year by having half a million pounds defrauded from the church bank accounts. Uh, Just as we were coming to the end of a building project, that was in itself pretty exhausting. and Thankfully, as you know, we got that money back, but it was stressful and tiring. And then we had to complete the building project. And uh, at the same time, we were simultaneously trying to lead us into establishing two brand new congregations with two sets of serving teams. And uh, I'm trying to complete a master's degree because I wasn't quite busy enough before. And uh, I have two teenage daughters and some of the other churches which I have responsibility for were having some issues. And uh, then there were suddenly just a number of pastoral things that started emerging in the church and in my family. And uh, then we had two sudden deaths at 5.02. And I hit June and I was tired. And so I found myself with a tired mind considering all these overwhelming pressures. And I'm a pretty stubborn guy in those situations Faced with overwhelming conditions, I tend to power up, and, and never in a good way. It takes me a long time to reali- realize it when I'm, when I'm doing that. And so, one night, about a month ago, I was tossing and turning and thinking about all these things uh, in bed, and after about two hours of trying to work it all out, I had this blindingly simple realization, I was unable to fix it, I was unable to do it. I just realized, as I lay there thinking about it all, that I, I could not fix it. I literally couldn't do it I, I couldn't meet every need and solve every problem and in that moment the Lord just gently reminded me yes of course you can't dummy but I can you are not glorious but good news I am and I can do all that I say I can and dear son of mine my face is turned towards you And a weight just kind of came off me. And over the next few days, my heart, which had become so stressed and wound up, just started to unwind. And I started again to experience a sweetness in my relationship with Jesus that I haven't done for a long time. This is not the first time that God has had to remind me of this. It's embarrassing to think about how many times he had to remind me this and teach me this lesson, that I cannot save myself or anyone else. And that's a good thing to know because he tells me, he tells us in my weakness his power is made perfect. Hundreds of times he's that to remind me of this. I spend my life studying and teaching his word and I so easily forget the basics. We all do, I know we do, because we're human. That's why we preach every week. That's why we make a point of saying, be here every week, to remind us of these things. Like Israel at the Red Sea, we are forgetful by nature. We forget that God is glorious, that he is completely able. I forget this, and it is his kindness. And his mercy and his gentleness that in those moments doesn't just cast me out and count me a lost cause. He brings me close and he whispers confidence back into me because he is good and he is glorious and he is able. He brings life and he releases deathly chains and he meets me time and time again with patience and mercy and kindness even when i have to be reminded time and time again of the same simple message i am weak and i cannot fix every situation but he is strong and he can and that's the point that's his his kindness leads me every time has had to again in this past season to be amazed at him once again to see his glory his ability to save and fix what i can't and to be led again to a place of wonder and worship are your finances in a mess are you stressed about the future Is your marriage in trouble? Are relationships breaking down around you? Are you hopeless or anxious? Are you overwhelmed? Are you just tired? I've been all of those things in my time. Here's the solution. Look up. Behold your Savior. Behold His glory. Revel in His glory. Revel and rejoice that in the face of every single stress of life, your Father, your Father is the best doctor to heal your disease. He's the best military general to fight your battle. He's your best friend in your loneliness. He's the best father to comfort and restore you. That's his glory. He's the best, and he's for you. Jesus has the authority to save and heal and fix every situation it has been given to him by the father who loves him, who loves us, that we, he might do amazing things in our lives and that we might be rightly amazed in response, that we might see his glory, the glory that he wants us to be satisfied in and find our peace in, Be satisfied in him again today. Maybe for the first time. Surrender yourself to Jesus. Put down the heavy baggage. Confess your inability. Worship him and give him glory. And in that glory, find your peace. Shall we pray? Father, in, in light of such truths, and they are that, they're truths. It, it almost feels cheeky for me, for us, to stand here today and, and put words to who you are and what you're like, that we can, with our broken awareness of what you're like, say that you're glorious. Seems in some way impertinent, and yet with you, the eternal Father, it is our confidence, and it's, our, it's your invitation to us to come close, to be with you, to behold you, to see you face to face, to know what you're like, and in response to be amazed and to declare all that we know of you, that you're glorious and you're perfect and you're able, and that you're with us. You have come to us in the person of Jesus. You have incarnated, taken on flesh, and come to live with us. What an amazing truth. What an amazing situation we find ourselves in this morning. And so, Lord, I want to pray that where there is a a glory deficit amongst us, or a vision deficit amongst us at least, that where we need to have our eyes opened again, scales come off, that we might see your glory again. Holy Spirit, would you come now and help that to happen? I pray that scales would come off eyes all over the place this morning. I pray that we would once again in this crazy, confused, anxious world, see that the one who sits above it all, who reigns above it all, is glorious and able to work in our lives and in our situation. And I pray, Spirit of God, would you be at work amongst us this morning, breaking chains, fixing situations, resolving relational issues, pouring money into situations that require it, bringing all that we need to do all that you've purposed for us in the world. God, we thank you. We surrender our inability to you once again. We declare it. We say, come. Amen.